other people. We teach a lot of things. So we look forward to seeing all of you here this coming Wednesday night for Bible study. And everybody said amen. All right. My message today is based on the comparison between the Jewish people that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and those who a generation later that actually entered the promised land. I want to show you today the difference between wilderness wanderers and promised land occupiers. Both have left their Egypt or sin behind in repentance. They've crossed their Red Sea and being baptized in the name of Jesus. And both wilderness people and promised land occupiers are heirs to the promises of Abraham. Both are qualified recipients of the promises of God. But sadly, one marches in a spiritual circle while the other marches forward. One depends on manna and quail while the other enjoys milk and honey and occupies houses they didn't build and they harvest from vineyards they didn't plant. One whines and complains while the other shouts in victory. My question to you today, which one are you? Today I implore you to hear the Word of God and begin to apply the promises of God when life brings you challenges. For those of you still living in your spiritual wilderness, I hope you've become weary with walking in circles, listening to complaining, and living unfulfilled lives. It's time to move forward and upward. It's time to ascend. It's time to become a promised land occupier. The promised land is not a place you visit now and then. It's a place where you live. Welcome to your promised land today and begin enjoying your inheritance. Let's give the Lord some praise today. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. In Joshua chapter 21, verse 43, And the Lord gave unto Israel all, everybody say all, all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. They failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. All of it. All of it. Thank the Lord. I want to preach to you for a little while today the ascent to promise. You'll notice... Our theme for this year is Ascend. I want to preach to you today the Ascent to Promise. Everybody say thank God for the Word. Give your neighbor a fist bump. Tell them I'm going to preach with a preacher. And you may be seated. Thank you. For seven years, seven years, the length of the book of Joshua, the children of Israel, the promised land occupiers, the PLO, Not the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Promised Land Occupiers. Everybody say the PLO. Promised Land Occupiers. Say it. Promised Land Occupiers. In the book of Joshua, they were virtually untouchable. Seven nations 
had been conquered by this ragtag group of Hebrew people. At least 31 kings had been defeated, and approximately 10,000 square miles of some of the most choice property on the planet had been claimed and now was being occupied by God's people. I thought that was pretty cool right there. You can marinate that in a few minutes if you want to. Seven years of unbridled success. They were outnumbered, but not outpowered. They were under-equipped, but not overwhelmed. They were the unlikely and unquestionable, but unquestionable conquerors of some of the most barbaric armies in history. Had the campaign been a prize fight, the referee would have called it in the first round. The Hebrew people were unstoppable, but they hadn't always been. The Bible doesn't gloss over their checkered past of his people. Abraham had at least one too many women in his life. Jacob had told too many lies. Esau sold his birthright cheap. Joseph's brothers sold Joseph. Four centuries of Egyptian bondage were followed by 40 years of wilderness wandering. Then later, 70 years of Babylonian captivity. The Hebrew people built two temples only to lose them both. They were given the Ark of Covenant only to lose it. Babylon built her cities. Greece flexed her muscle of knowledge. Rome stretched her empire. But Israel, in the classroom of ancient societies, she was the kid with a black eye, bullied and beat up, and such are some of you. Except for those seven years of the book of Joshua, the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel was beyond their reach. On the timeline of your Bible, the era glistens between the difficult days of Exodus and the dark age of the judges. Moses had just died. The Hebrews were beginning their fifth decade as Bedouin in the Badlands. And sometime around 1400 B.C., God spoke. God spoke to Joshua, and Joshua listened. And the era of fulfilled promises began. Hey, I know it's Mother's Day, and I know you have plans for lunch. I wanted to preach this last Sunday, and y'all didn't let me. You ain't having your way today. (laughs) Clap your hands, somebody, and just shout, yes! Hallelujah. For them, the Jordan River opened up, the the walls of Jericho fell down, the sun stood still, the kings of Canaan were forced into early retirement, evil was booted, and hope was rebooted. By the end of the campaign, the homeless wanderers became hope-filled homesteaders. A nation of shepherds began to quarry a future out in the Canaanite hills. They built farms, villages, and planted vineyards. The accomplishments were so complete that the historian wrote, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. They took possession of it. They dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of their enemies stood against them. And the Lord delivered all of their enemies into their hand. And not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All of it. Not some of it. 
Not part of it. Not most of it. All of it. It's all encompassing. Every single promise God made to them came to pass. And the same can happen to you today. You know, I had to count those of you that are students of the Word of God and understands Bible numerology a little bit. You understand that the number five represents grace. There's five alls in this scripture reading. So through the unmerited favor of God, he brings to pass his promise. But what sweeping statements, folks. The Lord gave all the land. The Lord gave them rest. Not a man of all their enemies stood against them. All came to pass. Why? Because they accepted their inheritance. They were willing to receive what God promised to them. And they were not promised land visitors. They were not promised land guests. They were promised land occupiers. Winter chill gave way to springtime thaw, and a new season was born. And there's people here today that you need a new season as you as well. Listen to Pastor today. You don't have to cross the Jordan River again, but you do need to get through the week. You may not be facing a Jericho, but you may be facing rejection and heartache. Maybe the Canaanites aren't stalking you, but disease, discouragement... Danger, maybe it's running rampant. You wonder if you have what it takes to face tomorrow. You do if you're a PLO. You do if you're a PLO. All of us can relate to the little fella that was in the airport one day with his family. I mean, they were prepared on, in the airport about to begin summer vacation. They were apparently beach-bound for a week of sand and sun. They had on flip-flops and baseball caps and straw hats. And everything about the dad's expression said, Hurry up! We have to run if we're going to make the next connection. The concourse became his football field. And their departure gate became his end zone. And he was determined to score a terminal touchdown. Some of you need to check your pulse. You know, Coop did his Mother's Day presentation, hit it out of the park, man. Said some funny stuff. Y'all reach up here and just see, you know, you feel anything, you know, a little thump going on up here anywhere? You can't even do that. Can't even pick my hand up, Pastor. The question was, could this little guy keep up with his parents and his family? Mom did. She matched her husband stride for stride. The older brothers did. They hitched their backpacks higher, leaned forward into the draft of their parents, following the dad down that concourse. But the little guy, he was only five. His face was full of resolve. But his legs were just too short. 
It didn't help matters that he was dragging a pint-sized Mickey Mouse carry-on bag either. Nor did it help that the entire civilized world was jammed into that airport that day. He tried to match his parents' pace, but he just couldn't. So he stopped right in the middle of the mayhem. He gave up. He plopped his bag down on the floor, sat on top of it, and shouted in the direction of his disappearing parents, I can't keep up! Some of you can't either. Anybody relate to that? Sometimes a challenge is just too much. You want to keep up, you try. It's not that you don't, but you just run out of fight. Life has a way of taking the life out of us. The entire book of Joshua is in the Bible for such seasons in our lives. It dares us to believe that our best days are ahead of us. God has a promised land for us, and He wants us to take it. He wants you to be a PLO. What is a PLO? Their pilgrimage began in Egypt, and so did yours. Continued through the wilderness and concluded in Canaan. Each part of this represents a different condition of life. It is where geography equals theology. In Egypt, the Hebrews were enslaved to Pharaoh. In the wilderness, they were free from Pharaoh, but still enslaved to fear and hurt and bitterness. And so are some of you. They refused to enter the promised land, and so they languished in the desert. Only in Canaan did they discover their victory. Egypt, the wilderness, Canaan, slaves to Pharaoh, slaves to fear. And finally, they become the people of promise. They become occupiers. We too have traveled this itinerary. Egypt represents our days before Christ, our bondage and sin. We wore the leg irons of guilt and death and habits. But then we came, then came our deliverer. His name is Jesus. And by His grace and through His power, we crossed the Red Sea. He liberated us from an old life and offered a brand new life of promise. The place where His promise meets our reality. Our promised land today isn't a physical territory. It's a spiritual reality. It's not real estate, but it's a real state of the heart and mind. A promised land in which we are more than conquerors through Christ who lived in us. A promised land, a life in which we do not live hard. A promised land in the life which Christ has the first and last word in everything we do. A life in which we are exceeding joyful even in our tribulation a life in which we are anxious for nothing in which we're always praying a life where we can do all in the name of Jesus giving thanks unto God somebody clap your hands and shout yes Canaan is a life defined by grace refined by challenge and aligned with a heavenly call. In God's plan, in God's land, we win more often than we lose.
We forgive as quickly as we are offended. And we give as abundantly as we receive. An occupier. A promised land occupier. We serve out of our giftedness with delight in our assignments. We may stumble, but we do not collapse. We may struggle, but we defy despair. We boast only in Christ, trust only in God, lean wholly on His power. We enjoy abundant fruit and increasing faith. Canaan symbolizes a victory we can begin to experience today in spite of what the hymn suggests. To Canaan's land I'm on my way, wherein the soul of man never dies. Listen to pastor today. Canaan is not a metaphor for heaven. The idea is beautiful, but the symbolism doesn't work. Heaven will have no enemies. Canaan had at least seven enemy nations. Heaven will have no battle. Joshua and his men fought at least 31. Heaven will be free of stumbles and struggles. Joshua's men weren't. They stumbled and struggled. But their victories, but their victories outnumbered their defeats. Canaan represents a life we can have. Listen, listen. God invites us to enter our Canaan, our promised land. But there's only one condition. You must be willing to turn your back on the wilderness. When you enter Canaan, you ain't getting quail and manna every day. And you're going to have to go to the shoe depot once in a while and buy some shoes and to Walmart and buy you a new pair of pants or a dress or whatever. You have to give all that up. But in Canaan, the wilderness can't compete with the grapes. In Canaan, the wilderness can't compete with the houses. The wilderness can't compete with Canaan when it comes to victory and power and anointing. Do you want to live in the wilderness or do you want to live in your promised land? It's up to you, and it's a matter of choice. Just as Canaan represents a victorious Christian life, the wilderness represents the defeated Christian life. In the wilderness, the Hebrew people were liberated from Egyptian bondage, but you wouldn't have known it by listening to their testimony. Wilderness people, in just three days, Into the wilderness after leaving Egypt. Three days they complained against Moses saying, What shall we drink? A few more days passed. The children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, don't you just love that attitude, that martyrdom? I'm going to die any minute. I've been on, there's some of you folks here today, I don't mean to be ugly, but you've been on spiritual life support for the past 50 years. Aren't you tired of it? You've been in spiritual ICU. You've had every kind of nurse and doctor check you out spiritually. And they just say, we don't know. I do. I'll diagnose you right now. You're living in the wilderness. You had not had a promise from God come to pass in your life in years. You wouldn't know what to do if it happened today. My God is right. Amen. 
How did the Hebrews descend to this point? It wasn't for a lack of miracles. Wilderness people say, oh, if I could just have a miracle from God. They had them literally every day. Through the manifestation of water, quail, manna, their clothes didn't wear out, their sandals. What else can you ask, man? I think probably their problems they were spoiled. It wasn't for lack of miracles. They saw God's power in high definition. It wasn't fuzzy. It wasn't an old 1965 version of Andy Griffith. I declare these folks are in a coma today. Nothing seems to be working. I'm getting off my notes now. I'm scraping from the very bottom here. This is high definition, seeing something right before your eyes. They watch locusts gobble up crops. They watch boils devour the skin of the Egyptians. They watch flies buzz through Pharaoh's court. They saw frogs, and ultimately they saw death where their kids were spared. What else do you want, man? God turned the chest-thumping Egyptians into shark bait right before the Hebrews' eyes. But when God called them to cross over into Canaan, the 12 spies returned, and all but two of them said the mission was impossible. Mission impossible. Eat your heart out, Tom Cruise. Well, what do you know, finally? Had to go to Hollywood to get it, but hey. The giants were too big for them. We're all like grasshoppers, they said. We're tiny, tiny bugs, and they'll squash us like... So God gave them time to think it over. He put the entire nation in time out for nearly 40 years. They walked in circles. They ate the same food every day. Life was an endless routine of the same rocks, lizards, and snakes. Victories was scarce, and progress was slow. Anybody relate? They were saved, but not strong. Redeemed, but not released. Saved from Pharaoh, but stuck in the desert. Redeemed, but locked in a routine. Monotonous, dull, Ho, hum, hum, drum. Four decades of tedium. Sounds miserable. And to some of us here today, it may even sound familiar. Let me tell you what you do if you want to become a promised land occupier. Let's focus on Jericho for a minute, okay? Y'all with me so far? Does this sound pretty good so far? All right. Here's what you need to know about the walls of Jericho, the first thing you face inside of Canaan. He didn't introduce to them their Canaan land gradually. He gave them the worst first. So here's what you need to know about the walls of Jericho. They were immense. They wrapped around the city like a suit of armor. Thank you. Two concentric Circles of stone rising a total of 40 feet above the ground. They were impenetrable. Here's what you need to know about the Jericho inhabitants. They were ferocious and barbaric. They withstood all sieges and repelled all invaders. They were even guilty of child sacrifice. They would burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
They were a Bronze Age version of the Gestapo. Ruthless tyrants on the plains of Canaan until the day Joshua showed up. And that's what you need to know. The devil, your past, habits, whatever you want to put in that blank, is bad to the bone until a promised land occupier shows up. They're ferocious and mean until a promised land occupier, someone who's been given that land by God. And when they show up, things change. Look at your neighbor and say, I've shown up. Not buh. Got to do it right. Follow instructions. Until the day, until the day his army marched in, they were bad to the bone. Until the day the bricks cracked and the boulders broke. Until the day everything shook. The stones of the walls, the knees of the king, and the teeth of the shown soldiers, the unstoppable fortress just met an unstoppable force. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, I'm just going to stop right here. Let me tell you something. I met with our church staff, some of them, not all of them, but I met with some of them. And I looked them dead in the eye and I said, you know what? This situation with Dawson Bunch... It's critical. And none of us know what the end is going to be. I've been very honest with Dave and Fair and very transparent, and I don't mean to sound crude or disrespectful anyway. But either the little boy's going to get better or we're going to bury him. Ten years old. But I refuse to be intimidated by that. I refuse to be intimidated. That A center, that A center going into that project, especially the money part of it, was a little daunting. But I refused to let that intimidate me. I told you, Grace Church, during the destruction of the A center, as much as we love it, it's not going to become our centerpiece. More than one time, Lori Blunt has called and said, we don't know if Skyler's going to make it another 24 hours. More than once, I've had folks walk up, including Phil, Phil Elwood, and said the cancer's come back. But I determined a long time ago, I'm going to stand in front of my fair, my Jericho, and I'm going to look it dead in the eye. You may be bad to the bone. You may be ferocious, and you may have defeated everybody else, but I showed up today, and you're standing on the ground that God gave to me, and I want it back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've had husbands and our wives call and say my marriage is in trouble. I don't think we're going to make it through the day or even the week. I refuse to be intimidated by that. I've heard every kind of story. People have lashed out at me. People have criticized. It doesn't matter. You're standing in my promised land, Doc, and you're not winning this one.
mighty Jericho crumbled when Joshua showed up. And they never drew a sword. They never fired an arrow. And they never threw a spear. All they had to do was show up. You're going to remember this message. I'm going to do something that's going to make you remember this message forever. If I have to stand on my head. Okay, I've told you about Jericho. Here's what you need to know about Joshua. He didn't bring the walls down. Joshua's soldiers never swung a hammer. His men never dislodged a brick. They never rammed a door or pried loose a stone. The shaking, quaking, rumbling, and tumbling of the thick and pervious walls is what God did. That's what God did. (laughs) And God will do that for you. If Jericho is your fear, if your Jericho is anger and bitterness and prejudice, your insecurity about the future, your guilt about the past, your negativity, your anxiety, your proclivity to criticize, overanalyze, and compartmentalize, your Jericho is any attitude or mindset that keeps you from joy, peace, and rest in the Holy Ghost. It stands between you and you becoming a PLO. What does PLO stand for? No, it don't. It stands for a promised land occupier. It don't stand for a promised land occupier. He never occupied nothing. Jericho mocks you. And tells you to take your dreams back to the wilderness. Your Jericho stands like an ogre on the bridge of progress. It's big and it's evil. And it blocks your way. And its walls must fall if you're going to be a PLO. It's not always easy. Every level of inheritance requires a disinheritance from the devil. Satan must be moved off. Before the PLO can move in, Joshua told his people, Go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. You don't get any more simple or explicit or more clear than that. Listen to pastor. The verb translated possess means to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place, you take what used to own to them. We all know the devil won't leave without a fight, and he'll resist, and he'll push back, but he can't win. Why? Because God has already declared that you are the victor. Satan was defanged and defeated. At Calvary. And has no authority over you. Unless you give it to him. God's word to Joshua. Is God's word to us. Be strong. And of good courage. Do not heed your fear. Do not cower before your woes. Take the land. 
God has given you to possess. Notice, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. God did not say, Joshua, you go take it. God said, Joshua, receive the city that I have taken over for you. I wish we could understand that. I wish we could understand that and get a grip on that. Joshua did not go forth hoping to win. He knew that God had already won. The same can be said about you and whatever your challenge is today. God does not say, so-and-so, you put your name in the blank. Look, I'm not really happy with that habit you have. You go break it. No. God says, I've already broken that habit for you at Calvary. You just need to possess that promise and quit the habit. The only person you'll fight is you. Not the habit, but you who has the habit. That'll be your main battle. He says... I've broken the bad habits in your life. Receive the blessing of my victory. Remember, remember, folks, we are a co-heir with Christ. Every attribute of Jesus is at your disposal. Was Jesus victorious? Did he overcome sin and death? Will you be victorious? Can you overcome sin and death? So the question is not, will you overcome The question is, when? And there's no time like the present. Y'all are sitting there looking at me like, hey, you know what? Kind of looking in the gate. (laughs) Brooke Trout. Life will always bring challenges, but God will always give you strength to face it. Things are different in Canaan. Hang-ups and addictions do not have the last word in Canaan. Today's problem is not necessarily tomorrow's problem. And don't incarcerate yourself by assuming that. Resist self-labeling. Well, I'm just a worrier, Pastor. Quit agreeing with yourself. I'm just going to have a bad marriage. Okay. Knock yourself out. I just can't progress in life. We label ourselves, folks. We take on what the devil has told us about us that's not true if you're a PLO. And we believe it. What you need to know is that the devil is a liar. You're not a worrier. You don't have a bad marriage. If you would ever occupy the promises that God has given you to live in. Don't incarcerate yourself with these labels. Resist the self-labeling. You know, stop carrying on your parents' tradition. They used to do that, so you did it, so you just think that's right. Stop that. These words create alliances with the devil. They grant him access to your spirit. It's not God's will that you live defeated, marginalized, unhappy, and weary lives. Turn a deaf ear to the old voices and make new choices. 
The psalmist said, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. God's already promised a victory. And he's provided weapons for the battle. Just as Jericho, I know you folks have plans, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this in, the landing gear just came out. I can fly a little while with the landing gear out, as you know, but they're out. Thank you. Just as Jericho was a stronghold in Canaan, we have strongholds in our lives. Courtney nailed it this morning in her opening of our service today. The Apostle Paul used a term to describe a mindset or attitude. He said, it's the weapons of our warfare. But to a PLO, they are mighty in God to pull down strongholds. They cast down arguments. They defeat every thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The apostle defined a stronghold as an argument. Quit arguing with it. I've heard more people debate with God. Who do you think you are? Telling God what's going to be and what's not going to be. The author and finisher of your faith. Your next heartbeat depends on him. If I was you, I'd be nice to God. Get on his side. Believe what he says. It's any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What God is telling us is what he already knows, and you're telling him that he don't. Well, you don't know, God, about me. Yes, he does. He knew you before when you were in the womb, he knew you. He knew you the moment you were conceived. You know, other strongholds, or excuse me, other translation describes as a stronghold as an imagination. That's what the King James says. One version says pretension. Other says lofty opinion. But one version says warped philosophies. And I think that's the most applicable. We, people have, I'm not going to say what I want to say, I'll just say it real nice. They have the most messed up mind and philosophy. And think they know God better than God knows himself. And they claim to know the word of God even though they hardly ever read it. This is good preaching today, man. This ain't stuffed bell pepper, buddy. This is roasted rice and gravy with all the trimmings, you hear me? A stronghold is a a false premise that denies God's promise. A stronghold is a false premise that denies you of God's promise. It sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It seeks to eclipse our discovery of God. It attempts to magnify the problem and minimize God's ability to solve it. Okay, wilderness folks, see if any of this applies. If it does, you know where you're living. Does a stronghold have a stronghold on you? Do you see nothing but Jericho? Do you feel nothing but despair? Do you think thoughts of defeat? Do you speak the language of impossibility? Like, well, God could never forgive me. Or, I can never forgive that person. Or, bad things always happen to me. Or, I have to be in charge. Or, I'll never recover. Or, I don't deserve to be loved. Or, I must be good or God will reject me. Or, I'm always as good as I look. That's a thought. Or, my value equals my possessions. 
This is the mindset and the attitude of people who live in the wilderness. If that's you, guess where you're living? Most Christian people don't recognize strongholds. They live in the shadow of these joy-sucking Jerichos. But we don't have to be among them. Our weapons are from God, and they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Isn't that what we want anyway? We long to see our strongholds demolished and turned into rubble once and for all, forever and ever. Kaboom! We're caught. There's people here today, if you'll stand with me. You're caught between the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan. I'm not living in sin, but neither am I living in promise. Think about the Christian you want to be. What what qualities do you want to have? More compassion? More conviction? More courage? More discipline? What attitudes do you want to discontinue? An attitude of greed and guilt, endless negativity, a critical spirit, an unforgiving spirit. Here's the good news. You can. With God's help, you can close the gap between the person you are and the person you want to become. Indeed, the person God made you to be. The Bible said that you can live from glory to glory. Your walls of Jericho are already condemned. The giants are already on the run. The deed to your new life in Canaan has already been signed. It's just up to you to possess it. Joshua and his men did this. They went from the dry land to the promised land, from manna to feast, from arid desert to fertile fields. They inherited their inheritance. Their epitaph deserves another reading. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He sworn to give their fathers. He gave them rest according to all that He had sworn to their fathers He gave them. Not a man, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord, the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. That's what the Bible says about Joshua and the PLO. I want you to notice the screen right now. I want you to personalize that promise. And I want you to put your name in the blank. All right? I'm going to do this. I want you to read with me. And you put your name in those. You see those blanks? Put your name in that blank. And the Lord gave to pastor. I don't hear anybody else reading. I'm not going to solo this. Read with me. I want everybody to read it fervently. And at least act like you believe it. Will you do that? If y'all would get with me, this has been over ten minutes ago. It ain't my fault it's going over. All right, here we go. And the Lord gave to pastor. Oh, not my way. Not my. I heard somebody say pastor. Not me, you. Put your name in the blank. All right, let's start over. The Lord gave to all the life he'd sworn to give. And... 
took possessions of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave rest all around, and not an enemy stood. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to. All came to pass. This is God's vision for your life. Imagine the thought. You at full throttle. You as you were intended. You as victor over the Jerichos and giants. You living in your promised land. It's yours for the taking. Expect to be challenged. The enemy won't go down without a fight. But expect great progress. Life is different on the west side of the Jordan. Breakthroughs outnumber breakdowns. God's promises outweigh personal problems. Victory becomes, dare we imagine, a way of life. So isn't it time for you to change your mailing address from the wilderness to the promised land? I am a promised land occupier. It's where I live. Yes, I have problems, but my victories outnumber my defeats every day. Oh, yes! I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. This is what I want to do. I want to merge today all of our wilderness people and all of the PLO here today. I want everybody to come around the front, and I want us to have a shout the victory time in anticipation of occupying what God has given to us, living in it, rejoicing in it, shouting in it, dancing in it, smiling in it, laughing in it, excited about it. Come on, everybody. Come on. Just.